committed to making the classics readable, relevant, and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with bold and new reads for every literary taste. When we found out we were both expecting new family members, literally just a few days apart, many of our conversations, of course, turned to all things pregnancy and baby-related, and we talked a lot about how our reading lives have already been affected. Sarah brought up having a guest on the show to talk about raising readers and to help get us ready for the next phase of our reading lives. And of course, one of our first thoughts was our favorite literary therapist who also happens to be a mom of four. So today we're talking with Anne Bogle, author, blogger, and host of the What Should I Read Next podcast about raising readers and keeping our own reading routines alive in the hazy newborn days. And welcome to Novel Pairings. We are so excited to talk with you today. It is my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we really cannot wait to get into this conversation. I have to say that talking to you about raising readers and kids as readers is very exciting for me because your show, What Should I Read Next, totally transformed the way I taught English when I was a high school English teacher. What? Yes. Oh, that's truly. so fun to hear. <laughs> I, I mean, I always knew that one of my goals as an English teacher was to help my students become lifelong readers and mm-hmm. the critical reading skills, the analysis, all that's important. But the long-term goal was more important to me. And listening to your show and all of the readers that you talked to, I just kept thinking, this is what I want for my students. I want them to become these readers who can articulate what they love about books, just keep picking up things that they're interested in. And I actually started doing reading conferences with my students modeled after your show. So, Oh, that's so fun. I'm delighted to hear that. It was so fun and it was just very inspirational for me. So I'm just so excited to hear more about how you've raised readers and your Mm -hmm. your tips for that. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I'm excited to dig in, but also now I'm, my brain is cataloging all our past episodes. I'm talking to two teachers and I'm remembering the vast number of readers who have come on the show because every week we talk to a reader who could be occasionally, you know, an author or an editor or publisher or somebody, but usually it's someone who could be your mom, your sister, your neighbor, your teacher, your friend, your doctor, your mail carrier. Oh, and we've talked to so many people who have said, oh, I read too much in college. I read too much in high school. It was not fun. And then, you know, I thought it wasn't for me. Oh, gosh. I didn't know that I should cringe in commiseration with all the teachers everywhere when a guest said that. <laughs> no, I think it's valuable to hear. I mean, I I hope that I was never that teacher for any of my students. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really important to be reflecting on what we're communicating about reading to our students in the classroom. Oh, Yeah. And in places other than the classroom is we're going to get into today. So, Anne, with all of these readers that you've talked to on What Should I Read Next, and I know in blog comments or at book events, I am assuming you can confirm or deny that one of your frequently asked questions is exactly what we invited you here to talk about today, which is, what are some of your favorite tips for raising readers? Yes, I do get all, that all the time. You know what else I get almost as often is how do I get my spouse to read? How do I get my my boyfriend, my girlfriend, my significant other, how do I get them to read too? I think we want to have the people that we spend the most time with in our lives, we want to get them reading because we care so much about it and we know what the benefits are. And we want to pass it along. And that doesn't necessarily mean we know how to do it though. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'll... Be curious to hear about tips for reluctant readers, too. But do you have any just general favorite tips that have really worked for you in terms of raising readers? Yes. And really, that's what I'm going to lean on right now, what we've done in our household. And my oldest kid is 18. He just went to college. So, you know, he's not he's a legal adult, now, (laughs) which is kind of terrifying. You show up at the doctor and they're like, yeah, you can't do anything until he yeah, until he says yes. So he's he's not, you know, a full grown, self-sustaining, independent man. But he's 18. Dang it. Like he moved on and he still reads books. Um, I do have four kids. The youngest is 11 also a boy. I have two girls in between. So I have a lot of firsthand experience 
from raising, I hope, somewhat successfully kids who love to read and teenagers and almost grown adults who love to read. But also in talking to so many readers, um, both who have been kids and who have kids, sometimes who are kids about what works and what really, really doesn't. I get these little peeks into thousands of households. So that's what I'm drawing from today. But my number one tip would be just to make it natural, Mm -hmm. to make it completely normal to be a household that loves reading. You talk about books, you got books everywhere. Mom is sitting on the couch reading. It's just, it's just something people do. And they won't find that until they're older, that it's not necessarily something every person does. But you always grow up thinking that what happens in your own house is the way the world is. And, and you want them to think that the world is a place where good books are everywhere. And I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit more in a moment, but I've heard both of you express a little fear of what will happen to your reading lives when you do have kids. And so I want to say really and truly, your kids need to see you reading from a young age. Here's an analogy that really lands with some people. Like if you grew up watching your parents fight, but they made up after you went to bed and you never saw that happen, you didn't get a full picture of what was happening in the home and how your parents were as people and what they thought was important. Well, you can't just read until after they go to bed because then they'll hear you say to your friends, they'll hear you say on the phone, they'll hear you on your podcast say, (laughs) I wish I had more time to read, but they'll never see you do it. So part of modeling, reading is normal, reading is natural, reading is something people do is to sit yourself down on the couch at 2 p.m. on a Saturday and say, hang on a sec, I am reading my book and it is good, darn it, and I want to find out what happens next. Making it natural, making it normal, that would be a huge foundational thing. Like you want to create a household that is, what do, what do they say? There's a very official term, literacy-rich environment. And that would be the next thing I would really recommend. You want to make it easy for your kids to read. And this can start from a very, very, like less than one board book age. Just surround them with good books. It really doesn't matter to a large extent where they come from. If they come from the library or garage sales or your favorite precious local independent bookstore. But if they want to read, they need something good to read. And if they can see good books lying around, then they'll know that reading is an option because out of sight, out of mind is a real thing. I was about to say, especially for a two-year-old, but that's also true for a 12-year-old or a 42-year-old. Like surround them with good books and then really gently encourage them, give them space to dive in. And then finally, I'd say just weave it into the fabric of your life. You know, like after dinner, we're going to sit down and read a book for a a minute. After, oh gosh, (laughs) I'm trying to picture working parents, teachers, stay-at-home parents, pandemic working parents, you know, all the variety. So let's say like after bath time, you read a book, you know, it's lunch on the weekend and you like to read your book with that. Oh, you can do a board book before you tie your shoes or maybe after you tie your shoes as a reward. Um, (laughs) But just like reading is something that you do. You go to the library as part of your errand because that's who you are as a family. You go to the bookstore as a special treat or as like a weekly routine, but it's, it's something that you do. And then by the time they grow up and realize it's not something everybody does, darn it, like those foundations are laid. That's wonderful advice. I mean, I'm so affirmed, but also motivated by all of those tips, reflecting on my own experience growing up as a bookworm. That rings true. Lots of trips to the library, as many books as I could carry home. I was able to check out. There was never a limit on on that reading. Mm. Um, I know I witnessed both of my parents with books in their laps growing up and they, it seemed like they loved reading picture books just as much as I did and my younger brother did. Like they were very excited for that time. Um, And so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's affirming to look back on your experiences as, as a kid and be like, oh yeah, well, I can kind of take some bits and pieces from what my parents did. And then, of course, from our literary therapy expert here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm also, so Sarah brought up her classroom experience. Mm -hmm. I'm feeling really great about my past teacher self right now because I practiced, at least in the last um, two years that I was in the high school classroom, I was really intentional about making Friday's reading time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did my best to read with with my students. Even though a lot of them were like 15 or 16 years old, I wasn't like modeling to kindergartners how to read. 
But um, I'm feeling like, okay, so just because I didn't grade the quizzes that day doesn't mean that I didn't do something right in the classroom. So if we have any teachers listening, I hope that that provides some additional encouragement that you should be reading in the classroom your own book so that they can see you enjoying it too. Because it doesn't always just have to come from parents, I think, seeing other adults or other people in kids' lives reading, I think, can make a big impact. Oh, gosh. Yes, that's super valuable. And especially as they get a little older, um, something that has been so so wonderful for my kids, and also for me for different reasons, is to find older figures or parental figures like teachers, babysitters, aunts and uncles, who can give your kids book recommendations, who can talk enthusiastically about books, who can give them book ideas, um, but they're not coming from their mom and dad. Because it's hard to believe when your baby is, you know, precious and sweet and thinks you're their entire universe. But they get older and they don't want to do what their parents tell them to do (laughs) necessarily all the time. So if if my nine-year-old didn't want to hear anything I had to say about what she may enjoy reading next, I could tell our babysitter, Hey, do you think she'd like, do you think she'd like the series? Maybe you could mention it to her. Cause you know, my kids thought their babysitter hung the moon and they'd do anything that she like hinted at, but just really bringing them in as allies. Um, the school librarian has also been really valuable. I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but, um, when kids do get a little bit, I mean, when they get to be school age, enthusiastic readers read their books so fast and it is it can be so hard for parents to to find those books that they are going to enjoy reading and that's when something like an English teacher or a school librarian can be invaluable you can just say here my kid loves science he's in second grade we need science books appropriate for second graders and they will consider it their mission to load you up that's actually a really great transition to something that we want to talk about next, which is what does it look like for a kid to be a reader? We know this can look different for every child. I know Sarah and I both, and I'm assuming you, Anne, had those experiences where you were reading under the covers with the flashlight past your bedtime and couldn't get enough books, brought a book everywhere with you. But not everybody's reading experience is like that, and it's so different for every kid. And given that you have four different readers in your house, we're hoping that you can speak to how those experiences can be different and maybe how we can encourage um, our kids in just different ways Mm -hmm. um, for them to be readers in their own, in their Mm -hmm. own right. I do have four, which is kind of a lot and kind of like not even a beginning for all the different kinds of readers there, there can be. But I would really like to frame for parents and other adults looking at young readers in their lives that that the goal of raising a reader isn't necessarily to read a kid who would rather like read a book under the kitchen table than go outside and play. Like you don't have to have your nose in a book all the time or always wish that you were reading in order to in order to make your bookworm parents proud. But I would say that when I when I think about raising readers, I really think about raising a child who knows there is enjoyment to be found in the pages of a book. And that doesn't have to be their very favorite hobby, but I want it to be something they know brings value, not just in a broccoli sense, but in a like, ooh, what, what do we got here? What's inside that book? In that sense, to their lives. You know, I want to raise kids who, like it occurs to them, like I'm looking for something to do, can I pick up a book? I'm looking to find out about something, maybe I could find it in a book. That's what I hope for. I love that because I do think that probably many of our listeners too and the listeners of your show and were those kids who just reading was the number one hobby and Mm -hmm. the thing we'd always rather be doing. And that's, that's wonderful. And I will be very excited if any of my future children end up like that, but it isn't the only thing in the world. And there are Mm -hmm. so many other great hobbies. So I love that idea of incorporating that and reading as place of value and enjoyment and and lifelong learning. I, I love what you said about, you know, if a kid is wondering about something, thinking, oh, maybe the answers lie in the pages of a book, not just on my phone or <laughs> computer. <laughs> and do you have any advice for parents or adults who work with children in any capacity mm-hmm. for maybe inspiring kids who aren't so reading obsessed to keep trying and keep picking up books. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think this is such a great question to ask because, I mean, sadly, it is so easy for well-meaning adults who love to read and who passionately want to help their kids discover this thing that they know will be so meaningful to them if only they would, you know, like give it a try. Um, I mean, we can go really wrong from the best of intentions. And I've certainly done it myself and I hope I've learned something in the process, but um, you, you, can't, you really can't be book bossy. Like your kid may not be reading, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they want to feel like you are the one helping them through this. Uh, and to raise kids who love to read, I think they really need options for what they want to read and also sometimes where they want to read it and how they want to read it. But they also really want or to feel like they have agency, like they are making their own decisions for their reading lives. And let me give you an example of how this could play out because the the scenario that I'm about to tell you about, it isn't that different, but it feels very different to the kid. So there's one instance in which I could say like, hey, seven-year-old, I haven't seen you finish a book in a week. Let's going on. Let's go to the library. I'll pick some books off the show. We'll, we'll go together. It'll be fine. Blah, 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 blah. Or here's a book that the second grader's like, or, oh, my husband did this once. This was my favorite book when I was in second grade. Here, try it and tell me what you think. Now, on some days of the week, that might work out fine. It, those options have not worked out fine in this household. But if you casually leave some good promising books lying around on the coffee table and hide the TV remote, um, <laughs> I mean, our kids had to ask at that age before they turned it on. But, but if you gently suggest, if you say, hey... I've noticed, do you want some help? Do you want to ask your teacher? Do you have any ideas? Instead of swiping in with like, here's an answer to that problem that you haven't articulated and may not even feel, but I'm your mom and I know what's best for you because you want to be reading, don't you? Because books are so good for you and they're so much fun, you know? So with the best of intentions, what we do is we <laughs> swoop in to save the day, but our kids don't want saving. They want to discover things for themselves. And what we can do as the adults in their lives is to help them feel like they're in control of their reading life. You don't have a lot of control over a whole bunch of stuff when you're a kid. Like, so let them feel, and notice that's not the same as let them choose necessarily, but let them feel like they're choosing their books. With my kids, um, I'm especially conscious of this because they know what my job is. Mm. And so they don't want me to play fix it in their reading lives. But if I notice that my high schooler hasn't finished a book in a week, or if I haven't seen her reading, I may say like, oh, hey, I saw you're reading so-and-so. Like, what's up with that? Or do you do you want to, I'm, I'm going to Carmichael's, our local bookstore. Do you want to come? Or if you want any suggestions, you know where to find me. And sometimes she'll say, yeah, I totally do. And sometimes she'll say, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just tired. I'm going to finish it next week. And that's, I feel like it's my job as a parent to be fine with that. Because you don't want to turn reading into something that's a battleground. Like you want it to be something that brings you together. That totally makes sense. And I also like the excuse to leave book piles all around the house <laughs> because that's inevitable. Mm, this is a real thing. Can I tell you something else that I wish didn't make a difference but absolutely does? Sometimes I I will have identified a book that I am like 96% certain that my child is going to love and adore. And we'll, we'll pick up the library copy and it's just not pretty. You know, like it's a hardcover with a cellophane wrapper that's gone like yellow over time. And maybe it's a little torn and it's just not attractive. So the content inside is great, but he, I mean, whoever said don't judge a book by its cover, like that's not human nature. It's just not. Like, I don't think I'd want to dig in either. But sometimes as an adult, the motivation to save $28 on that hardcover is enough that I'll give the, like, sometimes really ugly, beat up, you know, used or borrowed copy a try. But, you know, he's 11. He doesn't, he doesn't care as much. So sometimes if I think a child will really love a book, like, I, I'll know that the way it looks really matters. I don't want that to be true. I'm not the only parent who's made this observation, though. As a reader who hates the feeling of deckled edges <laughs> as she's turning pages, I very much relate. I'll choose an audiobook instead mm -hmm. based on how the book feels. I totally, totally get that. That's great advice. Chelsea, you just brought up audiobooks. So I am curious and if audiobooks have been a part of your children's reading lives as well. 
You know, they were when they were younger, but now that they're older, they'd rather read than listen. And this kind of baffles me because I have several kids who love to do things with their hands. And I think an audiobook will pair perfectly with that. But they just really say, I just want to, I just want to be with my thoughts. It's never quiet. I'm, and I like, I can respect that. That's probably a good thing. I don't need to put noise in their ears. But every once in a while, I do say like, well, you know, I have Unbroken on audio because I have a child who would who would love that book. When we were little, we did listen to them a ton. I'm a highly sensitive person who cannot talk all day with it without feeling just like a wrung out dish rag. And now that they're older and back in school, hallelujah, after the pandemic, this isn't as much of a recurring household thing, but it definitely was when they were younger. Like there were some days when I just felt like all I did was talk all day long and my poor brain just could not. And I think we turn on audiobooks as the, you know, like mom's voice needs a rest. And we really love that at the time. Um, I know that many families have loved amazing fantasy series. I just could never get my kids to get into. But I think the ones that we loved the most were Neil Patrick Harris reading the Henry Huggins books. We listened to those over and over. No, I'm saying we. Like I was out of the room much of the time, but I still heard those so much over and over and over again. And often that was just during like afternoon quiet time or after school chill time. So it wasn't any magical routine. It was, you know, like you want to hear a story? Here you go. That sounds like a lovely afternoon to me. There's so many great audiobooks too. And I think it's easier now with uh, just the pervasity of Libby and, you know, Audible, Libro FM. Back in the day, though, we love those orange playaway folders that they still have at the library because kids don't have iPhones and maybe you don't want to give them yours. And they don't necessarily, uh, you know, books on CDs are not available like they were even 10 years ago when my kids were younger. But they could handle those playaways just fine. Like it was preloaded from the library. Sometimes we need to put in new batteries, but all you had to do was hit the triangle and they were good. So, okay, and you've hinted at a couple of series, some audiobooks that really worked well for your kids, leaving some books around the house. Of course, we couldn't live with ourselves if we didn't ask for some recommendations or just some favorites that you've loved, that your kids have loved, that you've all loved as a family. This could be anything from picture books and board books, which is very much going to be our phase for a while, all the way up to kidlet and middle grade. Oh, fun. And I'm really glad you asked because I feel like because of the nature of raising readers, we focused a little more on kids who are older because when they're young until they're about maybe I'm just making this up, not a developmental expert, folks, but until they're about four, like you're the boss, like what happens in their reading life is whatever you make happen in their reading life. And it gets trickier when they do get older. And I remember actually having a conversation with a parent um, who was a who was a children's librarian at a summer barbecue. And she said, do your kids love to read? And I said, yes. Oh, my gosh, they absolutely do. And she said, how old are they? And I said, well, my oldest is seven. And she said, watch out. This is the golden age. Every seven-year-old with parents who love to read loves to read. It's when they turn eight that you start to lose them. And I was horrified. I was like, what are you talking about? And she said, oh, well, you know, they get busy. School gets harder. They start playing sports. Like they just, they tend to fall away unless adults are, you know, helping coax them to a love of reading. And I was just, I was so sad and a little bit terrified there. How is that? Is that a sobering note to transition into favorite young books (laughs) here? But, but you don't need to worry about that because your babies are not in the world yet. They're coming soon and you're the boss of them for a good long while. And while you are, oh gosh, I mean, I think my very favorite board book that I can still I'm pretty sure recite from start to finish because it's been so deeply embedded in my my brain is it's about choo-choo trains I know that every kid is into something different my kid was into trains and there's this little board book called chugga chugga choo-choo by Kevin Lewis and it's I mean, I'm not saying that I relished every reading of this rhyming um, sun's up mornings here of an atom engineer, but it was it was well done. It was clever. The pictures were wonderful. It's actually um, a black boy and a black authored book in the pages. And oh, he's he's playing with his trains and he's in, you know, his imagination land. He's the conductor. And it's just so fun and really pretty clever. I love the board book recommendations. I taught kindergarten for one year before I realized that was not 
<laughs> not the age group for me. But it is, I'm so glad you mentioned like the the rhyme and the rhythm because sometimes I would feel like it was supposed to be in the book. And then you'd be reading aloud and you're like, this does not flow. And it would just get in, <laughs> get lodged in my brain. And I could not overcome the fact that this poetic meter was not what I wanted it to be. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, can we just own something now? There are so many bad books. Like there are so many bad books and there are so many children's books that are just not worth your time. And it's hard, especially to find books that you as a parent are not going to mind reading over and over again. So what I'm sharing are the ones that have like really risen to the top that my kids have loved and loved reading over and over and over, but also that have made me not want to burn them as a result. Yes, I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that is the tough part. I mean, I know neurologically, mm-hmm. it is really important for kids to get the same books over and over and over mm-hmm. again, because you're building vocabulary You're That's like, that's how you learn to read, right? Like we're focusing on the enjoyment of reading. Mm-hmm. But if we get down to the, like, this is how you teach a kid to read stuff. It's really important for those repetitive reading experiences. But gosh, that's hard on parents. It really is. It really is. Okay, next. Uh, Let's do another picture book. You wouldn't read this with a nine-month-old. You'd probably want to wait another another nine months. But Press Here by Hervé Toulet, the French author. They're so fun. They're really acti- activity guide. Like, you follow directions in the book. Like, the book is called Press Here, and there's a yellow dot on the cover. And you you press the yellow dot. And when you do, it it becomes... Okay, I'm, I'm making this up. But let's just say, when you do, it becomes three dots. And the text goes, ooh, look what you did. Press the third dot. And then suddenly, it's a rainbow. And ooh, look what you did. Like, And it just tells you what to do. And then when you get to the end, it says, press here. And you go to the beginning, and you do it again. And this could go on for quite a while. And Hervé Toulet has written um, quite a few books of a similar style, but... Press Here is our favorite. That sounds fun. That's one you want to read, like on the couch with a grown-up. Oh, everything I just said about reading books over and over again and enjoying them every time. This one did push it a little bit, but mostly it was lots of fun. It's Chicka Chicka Boom Boom by Bill Martin Jr. and John Archambault. And it's just a fun, colorful, very vivid, brightly colored picture book. And it has the letters of the alphabet. It's like an ABC book. There's a little, there's not a rhyme exactly, but I think it's metered. Oh, of course it's metered. Chicka, chicka, boom, boom. Will there be enough room? (laughs) Over and over and over. Um, Lots of fun for kids. For books that you can read together, another picture book or not picture book that my kids loved, that's a more recent publication, is actually BJ Novak's book, The Book with No Pictures. I don't know how this happened, but my sixth grader came upon this the other night, brought it in the kitchen and said, I forgot how much I love this and started reading it out loud. And Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> it is sweet. And it's uh, it's fun. It's, it's clever. As a parent who knows she's going to read the same books over and over again. I really appreciate clever. <laughs> yeah. Humor gets humor will get big points in my book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. Cause there's so many saccharine and sappy children's books. Just, I mean, I can read those once, but it's very rare that you end up reading a read aloud one time. I mean, you know, that kind of, that kind of picture book read aloud, but two books that we really loved are books that like lots of parents listening and adults listening will also have loved when they were kids. And those are the frog and toad stories. Those just never got old for my kids by Arnold uh, Lobel. And then the monster at the end of this book with Grover by, oh, who's it by? Is it John, John Stone? All I can remember is Grover, but we could read that over and over and over again. And I could probably recite that to you now. And my dad read that with me. And it's, it's one that like lots of readers have fond memories of. You've mentioned a couple that I have my own fond memories of and a few completely new ones to me that I will be adding to my list and my shelves. That's a good, that's a good blend. It is. It's perfect. Thank you for those. Is that part of how you all are getting ready for your coming arrivals? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Probably the most fun part (laughs) so far. (laughs) Um, my mother-in-law threw a books and brunch baby shower for us, um, back in July when we were in Wisconsin. So, 
um, everyone just brought a favorite book and it was, it was really fun. I am not usually a big fan of like opening gifts in front of people. (laughs) I don't like that attention on me. (laughs) I don't like forcing my face into certain shapes, but it was really fun because opening those books and then hearing from the person or hearing from other people there about like, oh, I loved that one. Or, oh, we used to read that before bed too. And just hearing the commentary was really, really sweet. So we've got a good collection going. That has been a great, a great way to get ready. All right. Well, you've given us a lot to look forward to in terms of reading with kids, stocking our shelves. And you mentioned this, both of us are a tad nervous about our own (laughs) reading lives (laughs) and, you know, knowing they will change, change is hard, but, but fine. But do you have any tips for keeping a reading routine alive, especially in the newborn days? Yes, I do. But I want to begin by saying that don't don't be too hard on yourselves. Like, you know that I think your reading life is really important, but it is like whatever's about to happen with your reading life, as long as you're okay with it, it is okay. Like nobody's going to come and and take away your accredited reader card (laughs) because you didn't read for an hour every day when you had a newborn. (laughs) That being said, like I know that you both are people who love to read and that's something that brings you a lot of joy and also a lot of, I don't know, is comfort the right word? I imagine that reading is something that makes you feel like yourself. And you're having a baby. Like you want those things that make you feel like you. So take this all with like a massive heaping of salt. But yeah, I have some suggestions. And a lot of them are the same things I tell you about raising readers. Like you want great books around that you are excited about reading. Like that's why readers pick up a book because they, they they want to see what's inside. So if you're nervous about your reading life being put on hold or taking a back seat or falling off a cliff, actually, is I think what, what Chelsea has expressed fear about, um, make sure you have books you're excited to read. I know that some readers, some expecting readers think like, oh, well, I have to finish this book before the baby comes. And I would encourage you like, no, no, you really don't. It could be the best thing for you to be in the middle of a great book where you want to know what happens next when the baby comes. Because when the baby comes, you learn how to breastfeed for like 12 out of 24 hours of the first few days. And then you spend so much time feeding, but it's not like you won't have any time to read. And like, Like, yes, there are a lot of demands on your life that are new and different and unfamiliar, but reading is familiar. And I know at this point that you are familiar with reading in a variety of circumstances. So I would want to encourage you to have a really healthy TBR. I don't want to tell you what new parenthood is like. I'm sure it's different for every person, but I I do know that many people find the experience to be a little overwhelming. There's a lot of changes coming really fast. I don't know about you all. When I get overwhelmed, my decision-making capabilities are the, the first thing to go. Like you could be, Anne, do you want blueberries or raspberries? And I would just stand there with my mouth open going, I don't even know how to decide. So I would really encourage you in advance to just choose a few books that you imagine that you might want to read. We'll just call it your baby moon, you know, like in those first days or weeks so that you don't have to think like, what were those books I wanted to read? Like you, you've already curated yourself a little stack. Here's a side note. Don't read any books where the mother died. I don't know how I managed to do this, but when I brought my firstborn home from the hospital, the first three books I read had a dead mother. And I thought, who's in charge? (laughs) Who's in charge of my reading list? What just happened? Ask your friends in advance. Just make sure that doesn't happen to you. It does not go good places for anybody. But um, you do want a short curated list of books that you think you'll enjoy right now. And that's highly individual. Like, what does that mean to you? But just something that you think of as a really fun read. That's what I would encourage you to do. Don't make them parenting books. You have so much time to read parenting books. Don't, Don't make them parenting books. And finally, I would think a lot about format. If you like to read on your Kindle, I get that loaded. If you want paperbacks and hardcovers, get those ready. So from the bookstore, from the library on your stack, download those audiobooks. Make sure you know where your headphones are. Make sure they're charged if they need that so that it's easy. Something you may find is that feeding in the early days. This was my experience, and I've talked to a lot of readers who who echoed this. You spend a lot of time on the couch with a baby in your arms, you know, breastfeeding or giving a bottle, and you are in one place 
for a while. And many new mothers have been shocked at how much reading they can get done during that time. They just, they just didn't know. But if you get all comfortable in your feeding position and your book is across the room, like that's just not a good place to be. So just think that through in advance so that you are physically ready to read when you are mentally ready to read. I'm not sure if you're like, of course, that seems so obvious or, oh, I never thought about that. No, I love the mix of encouraging and practical. And I'm already kind of running through some things. Um, So one thing that I'm working on getting set up right now is a nursing or feeding cart that I could have in different rooms of the house. And just thinking about like, oh, making sure I have two books on there at all times. that's a necessity for me. It might not be for everybody or just thinking of like the different places in my house where I might be spending a lot of time. Just, I, I love the practical advice Mm -hmm. of just making something available and within reach. Oh, and you know, I'm just thinking through my own reading in the dark days when my child was little, I'd like try to maneuver with a flashlight and not wake him. If I was like rocking and doing that nighttime feeding, a Kindle would have been amazing then. I have a friend with a four month old who is like swearing by her Kindle right now. She's really loving it. So gotta love a paper white. Yeah, I'm not a huge Kindle reader typically, but I do have one. And so I really love the advice of getting it preloaded with books that I want to read because I could see those late night feedings become also late night scrollings through the Kindle store having no idea (laughs) what to download next. Also, we're talking about potentially reading in the dark. If you fall asleep because you are that tired, that is okay. That is really okay. The, the book will wait for you. All right. So one of your kind of sub tips in there was to not just focus on reading parenting books all the time and to read for enjoyment. I mean, I'm sure some people really enjoy those. Reading to be educated is great. But um, I know for me, at least during this pregnancy, I have not wanted to read a lot of nonfiction or self-help. I've been really drawn to memoirs about parenthood or fiction that surprisingly has some great themes that have sort of made me like take note, oh, that's great parenting advice. And so that's what I'm really looking forward to reading. Um, I'm assuming Sarah is too. (laughs) Um, And so we are curious if you have any parenting books that aren't parenting books to recommend? I do. But I want to start by saying that when you're choosing books that you want to read postpartum or, or, you know, as a parent, one of the things to consider when, when you're picking up a book to read next is where do you want to go emotionally? In some books that, that really focus on parenting, where that's an important part of the plot or that's a major theme. I mean, fiction is propelled by conflict. And parenting and fiction can be insightful and poignant and also really, really brutal. So I'm going to share some books I love, but that is a really important caveat to to begin with. There's a mystery series by William Kent Kruger. Many readers know him as the author of Ordinary Grace or his more recent book, This Tenderland. Oh, actually has a new one just out. It's, I think, 18th in this series. It's called Lightning Strike. You can start there. But I would start at the beginning with the first book in the Cork O'Connor series. It's called Iron Lake. And these are these are mysteries set in Minnesota, northern, tiny town Minnesota. They feature a local, oh gosh, is he a, is he a sheriff? Is he a deputy? Um, but they feature the workings of a small community and the interplay between the law, the nearby tribe, the insular community, um, and all the residents therein. But a really stirring theme that runs throughout this entire series is parenting. And you see a variety of people, but but especially the characters that recur at the heart of the center of the series. Um, you see them parent their kids over a a nice span of years just because the series has gone on so long and it's gentle and wise and sometimes really, really hard. But what I like about that is it seems clear, you know, when an author is trying to make a point, you know, it lands with you a certain way. It doesn't necessarily, I mean, that, that can be instructive, but it doesn't maybe have the humanity of someone who's telling a story. And the way you see these characters who feel so real interact in that family setting in the book, I, th- I think it connects with the heart more more than it would were it trying were it trying to say, "Hey, I got some things to share with you about parenting." 
I would really recommend that series. Oh gosh. This one, I would strongly recommend you not read when you're postpartum and maybe not read for 30 years. But one of the best books I read this summer, actually, Chelsea, after we did our best books of summer event for the Modern Mrs. Darcy Book Club, the book I shared was The Eighth Life, um, and a hundred page novel about the, the country of Georgia over from, from the revolution in 1918 till, oh, it might be 1917 actually, and until the present day. Um, it's an amazing book. But then I turned around and I saw Landslide by Susan Conley on my stack. And I thought, oh, actually, well, mm, I don't know. It could give The Eighth Life a run for its money. And it's a book that is more explicitly about parenting, but it's still a novel. And it's certainly not trying to share any lessons, unless those lessons are. Be warm and try to seem wise to your kids and be open and be, be there for them and what, what love looks like in a variety of tough circumstances. But in this book, which is set in a small fishing town, again, a tiny town. Is that a theme in parenting books? Listen to this. So this is set in a tiny fishing community in the state of Maine. We see a mother who is, uh, oh, she is, she is going through it. So her fisherman husband has been in an accident and he's stuck up in Nova, Nova Scotia. He's injured badly enough he can't come home. She has two sons. They are, oh gosh, are they 14 and 16 or 16 and 18? They seemed older on the page to me than they, uh, than they were, but I think that's because that's how it goes with teenage boys. But one of them lost his best friend um, to a bridge accident. He died and the, her son is still actively grieving and having a really hard time. Um, the other has a girlfriend and she's terrified of everything, but she calls these boys the wolves. She feels like they're eating her out of house and home, almost literally, and she just doesn't quite know how to wrangle them, and she loves them fiercely, and they love her, and yet that doesn't mean it's not really, really hard. And then you add their father's accident into the midst of all this, and in this book, we get to watch her grapple uh, with them. I I thought, is that literally? I don't think there's actually wrestling here, but, but you really watch her fight for them and fight with them both and because that that is her experience parenting teenage boys like they they seem to be trying to oh gosh how do I describe this y'all it's it's hard it, it it's hard but as a reader it wasn't hard at all it was like oh keep telling me more I want to see what's happening here I want to see this story and she has these very I believe it's told in the first person and she has these musings on what it's like to have teenagers and what she hopes for and what she thought when they were little and what she thinks now and how did that little baby grow up to this horrible, smelly, awful, wonderful, like almost man. And it's just, there's such humanity there. And also it's, I mean, as as a parent of a teenage boy, two teenage girls and a soon-to-be teenage boy, I thought this is like terrifying and just extremely affirming all at the same time. It's an emotional read. And you can decide what you want to read about. I didn't want to read about anything bad happening to anybody when I was in the the early months of parenting. And then finally, there is a, this isn't a parenting book per se, but I loved Tell Me More by Kelly Corrigan. The subtitle is something like stories about the 12 hardest things I'm learning to say. And Tell Me More is one of them. Other ones are things like, um, I'm sorry, I was wrong. Um, I'm remembering the obvious ones. There's a few that aren't as obvious, but she tells a lot of stories in the book about being a mom, about talking with her kids and also talking with um, parents and spouses and boyfriends and friends. And again, this is another book that is, I think it's about the things that really matter in life. Um, I, like I, I felt really inspired, you know, to, to be a better, a better friend, a better mother, a better conversationalist with strangers, and also a little more equipped to actually do that. But at the same time, I mean, this book is dedicated to her friend who died of brutal cancer. And, and she's talking about really hard things in the pages of this book. So not easy, often emotional, but just like really, really good. And I think there's something about having a child that so often turns us to question, like, what do we really want from life for ourselves? And what do we want from life and the world for our children? So once you're ready to, to dig into some content that is emotional, you know, talking about love and 
loss, because um, the two inevitably go together, I think the time could be right to, to dig into a book that is asking those big questions and starts to not deliver big answers. Oh, golly, that'd be so pretentious. I wouldn't want to read that. But but that d- does like nudge you in the direction of exploration. Those all sound so great, whether it's immediate, as you said, maybe not immediately <laughs> postpartum, <laughs> but a little bit down the road. I, I mean, I think like many readers, of course, Chelsea and I both love fiction and nonfiction that is asking those those big questions and allowing us space and time to consider our, our own answers. And with a big life change, those questions and answers are going to evolve for us. So I'm excited to see how I continue to respond to the books that I read, because I know that's going to change so much. As we think about what we want to read immediately in those newborn stages, Mm -hmm. what we want to keep in mind for the future, we both really love tracking our reading, keeping lists, and you've long been a proponent of, of tracking your reading life as a way to learn more about who you are as a reader, what you want to read next, Mm. what doesn't work for you. And you have a new book, a reading journal coming out that's designed to help readers do just that. Would you tell us a little bit about your reading journal? Sarah, I do. I have this reading journal coming out um, September 21st, actually. And I'm so excited because I have been kind of like a broken record beating the track your reading drum for years. And it's because I've talked to so many readers and I know I know what helps people enjoy their reading life and get the most out of their precious reading minutes because, I mean, there's only so much time to go around. I want you to be able to spend it well. And Readers who are really happy with their reading lives, they know what they like and they know what they like because they write it down on paper or or a spreadsheet or Goodreads or whatever. I think analog is best and I designed this journal with care. But the most important thing I want you to take away from this is write down what you read because it helps you figure out what you like, what you don't, what you're missing, what you should explore, um, what works for you and what doesn't. Many times readers like a book or they don't like a book, but they don't really know why. And so they can't use that information to do a better job picking their next book. But I want to help you figure out what you like and how you could best spend your reading time. And I don't want to be perfectionist about it. I mean, like you should be reading books you don't love regularly as a reader if you're branching out and trying new things. But I want you to be able to articulate what you like and why. And to do that, you really need to write down what you read. And this journal is here because many readers, they believe this in theory. They don't know how to do it. They don't find Goodreads particularly effective for them. I didn't mean to dis Goodreads just then. But because tracking the books you read is one of the best ways I know to improve your reading life, um, I was really thrilled to have the opportunity to put together this journal that includes so many features that I've heard in talking to all these readers um, are the ones that really matter, that really make a difference when it comes to getting more out of the time they spend in their books. So my hope is that this journal will help them articulate this taste so they know what they like, but will also help them broaden their literary horizons and importantly, help them enjoy the process while they're in it. So it's really pretty. It's hardcover. Ooh, it's a hardcover that lays flat. It's very important to readers. It's compact, so you can drop it right in your tote bag, your purse, your work bag, whether you're going to school, to work, or to the library or the bookstore. I'm excited for people to uh, get their hands in it and use it. I've been working on this for forever now, and I'm, re- I'm ready for it to be out there. And to see, I want to see photos of people filling it in. I'm really eager to get to that, that stage. I'm really excited, too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um. it's fun. So there's space to log your books, of course, because that's important. Something I love the most, actually, is there's like a three-tier rating system. Because there's a difference between a book that you love and a book that is really well-written. Like sometimes those things overlap, sometimes they don't. So there's, there's I hope, thoughtful features like that. But also there's things like a to-be-read section that's laid out in such a way that you can actually remember why you were excited about that book that you requested from the library so you don't do that thing anymore where you show up and you pick up your hold and you're like, this has my name on it and I don't remember why I asked for it. And there's lots of reading lists. There's a worksheet to help you articulate your reading taste. You can take a snapshot of your reading life at a moment in time so that you can compare later in the year. There's lists to keep track of things like your favorites or bookstores you want to visit or books you borrowed or loaned. I'm really excited for 
for people to put it to use, because I do think it is a useful tool in their reading. I mean, hopefully one that's really fun to use, but I made it to be a tool. You're supposed to mark it up. You're supposed to have fun with it. You're supposed to get it messy. You're supposed to scratch things out. That's totally fine. You're supposed to dig in and use it. Well, we will drop links in show notes for all the places that listeners can pick up your reading journal. I'm really excited. I have to brag a little bit. I have my copy. It's not in front of me right now, but it is incredibly pretty and the features just, I don't know, the title is so apt. It's my reading life. It's not just a book tracker journal. It's really, really meant to enhance your reading life in so many ways. And I'm excited to dive in as someone who likes to track and and reflect. The reflection piece, I feel like, is so prominent in there. And I love that. Yes, we're big reflectors on this show. (laughs) (laughs) I like that about you all. Yeah, moving beyond just lists, I think, will will be great. And I'm really excited to dive into that. So thank you so much for sharing more about it with with our listeners. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for all of your friendly advice today, too, Anne. We, um, I think I probably joked with each of you at, at the planning stages at some point that um, Sarah and I just invited you on to be our literary therapist, like totally. I believe in bibliotherapy. And, yes, and yeah. we're so glad that you were able to make the time and and come on and give us just the right amount of encouragement as we go into this next phase of our lives and our reading lives. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure. And I'm wishing you all well, and I can't wait to hear, oh, I mean, mostly I can't wait to hear exciting baby news, but I'm also excited for your next, oh, chapter. I can use a bookish pun, (laughs) right? Of (laughs) course. But I am truly, and I can't wait to hear what unfolds for you all in the months to come. Thank you so much, Anne. This this really was wonderful. If you would like to pre-order Anne's new reading journal, My Reading Life, you can find it anywhere you get your books. Check our show notes for a link to her pre-order bonuses and where to get a signed copy. You can listen to the Watch Diary Next podcast wherever you listen to novel pairings and keep up with Anne on Instagram at Anne Bogle or at Watch Diary Next. Or visit modernmrsdarcy.com for blog posts on all things books and reading. Keep spreading the word about the Novel Pairings podcast by sending your friends a link to your favorite episode or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. Another great way to support the show is to subscribe to our weekly newsletter at novelpairings.substack.com. We'd also love to see you over on Patreon as part of our Classics Club to chat with a thoughtful group of readers, get live and recorded classes and bonus episodes. Go to patreon.com slash novel pairings and join our community. In addition to talking books with all of you, we also love to see when and where you're listening. So tag us in your Instagram stories at novel pairings pod. Thank you to Miles Eichner and Mark Anderson for our theme music. Next week, we'll be back with Jane Eyre part two. Until then, we declare after all, there is no enjoyment like reading. How much sooner one tires of anything than of a book. Thank you.